So yeah, I have a message for you today, which is week two in our series, Enthusiasm, Re-Engage the One True God. And last week, our guest speaker, Pat Hegarty, kicked the series off and said that for each of us, we're at a crossroads. There's a path before us or two paths before each of us. And you may be able to think back over the last couple of years, and I'm not looking for a show of hands, I'm not looking for a, a, a vocal answer or anything, just for you to know within yourself which path you've been on up until this point over the last couple of years. One path is the path of the sleeper. And that's in the last couple of years when it comes to your faith, you have been more relaxed, perhaps lazy, maybe stalled and asleep to God and to what he might have for you in your life. That's the path of the sleeper. The other path that's before each of us is the path of the seeker. So leaning in more to God, who he is and what he's calling you to do and partnering with him. And it's the path of the seeker that we find this enthusiasm from God, finding the the one true God within us, the Holy Spirit, who will then give us enthusiasm to be fruitful with him in our lives. And so we each stand at a crossroads. No matter what path you've been on, we stand at a crossroads and we have a choice to make. Will we now go on the path of the sleeper or will we now go on the path of the seeker? And Jesus described it like this. In Matthew chapter 7, he said, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell or the highway to destruction is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Jesus talked about the two paths. One of them is wide. It has no enemy. It has no barrier. It's smooth. It's easy. And that's the path of the sleeper. But the other path, the path of the seeker, has a narrow gate and it has a difficult path. But it is still accessible. You can find it. And Jesus said of himself that he is that narrow gate. In John chapter 10, he says, yes, I am the gate. So those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. And then he adds, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And that's one of the reasons why the narrow path is so difficult. Because there's a thief lurking on the path. A thief looking to seek and steal and destroy, to steal and kill and destroy, he is there hiding on the path of the seeker. He's not so much on the path of the sleeper. He's not really needed there because over here we're not really interested in or awake to the things of God. But on the path of the seeker, that's where you're going to find him. And so what thief is Jesus talking about? Well, he could be talking about anyone or anything that disrupts your path of seeking God. He could be talking about, in his day, some of the religious leaders who were leading people astray. And maybe they were the ones who were stealing and killing and destroying. And maybe Jesus was speaking about a singular thief, about the one that we find elsewhere in the Bible talked about as Satan or the devil or the enemy or the accuser. Because Satan, as the thief, He has many weapons that he uses against all sorts of people. Distraction, deceit, 
temptation. All people experience these things. But a common tool, particularly against those on the narrow path of the seeker, is the powerful tool of distortion. The thief wants to distort your view of God. Now, think about human relationships. If you believed something untrue about me or about anyone else in your life, you believe something untrue about them, it would change the way you see them. It would change the way you think about them. It would change how close you wanted to be to them and how much you trusted them. If your view of someone else is distorted by something that's not true, it totally changes how close you're willing to get, how much you trust them and what that relationship is like. And many of our perceptions of God are actually distortions. Many of the things we think about the person of God are distortions that the thief has used in our lives and in societies over the years to to give us a, a wrong understanding of the character and the nature of God, and it disrupts us on the path. Because sometimes with a distorted view of God, we can become really judgmental people, and we hate or we isolate from people that we think are sinners, and all the while being ashamed of ourselves inside. One of the other distortions is that we become defeated people, living like God doesn't even exist. We believe he's real, but we live like he's not. And another distortion is that we might become disappointed people, and we prefer just to walk away from God and away from the church community completely. This is the next crossroads. If you've chosen the path of the seeker, you then face another crossroads along that narrow path. Will you settle for a distorted view of God or do you want a clearer picture of what God is like? And to see God clearly, we have to look at the person of Jesus. Because Jesus said of himself, for anyone who wondered what God is like, Jesus said in John 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? They're like, hey, show us what God's really like. And he's like, hey, hey, I don't need to tell you anymore. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. We go, okay, so if we just understand Jesus, that's how we'll know what God is like. But but then what about the other views of God or the other pictures of God? Or what about in the Old Testament when it seems like God is so different? What do we do with that? Well, to help us understand that, I want to introduce you to something that my kids found in a drawer this week, something that's part of our cyclone kit that we haven't ever had to use in our 10 years in Cairns, but we have it there ready, and they'd never seen it before. And we said to them, this is like the, the earliest model of the iPad Nano, Okay. I'm going to get it for you. It's very small, very tiny miniature device with an antenna. And the first I saw that the kids had it, one of them had headphones plugged in. And so they're walking around just like, you know, it's an old iPod or something like that. Uh, And so they're like, wow, this is amazing. You know, you can get the radio on this. This is incredible. Now, there's a couple of kids in the room who are looking at me like, wow. And the rest of you who know what it is are laughing. Like, uh, this is really cool. So, so when you turn this thing on, you know, you get static like this. 
But you can scan through the channels and find all sorts of different stations that are being broadcast. And, you know, you most often would have, would have done this in your car, where you just, you know, scan and what's next and scan and what's next and trying to find something you want to listen to. But, but no matter where you are in Australia, it would seem, and, and maybe this is true in the world, you keep scanning and you're going to find a station that's probably a weak broadcast, crackly, hard to hear, and it'll be in a language that you don't understand. Because there's all sorts of languages being broadcast all over the world at the same time. And so on this little radio, you could hear something that you don't quite understand. And, and, and your imagination could take you to a place where you're like, I, I, reckon, I reckon based on what I'm hearing, even though I can't even speak the language, I reckon I could, I could picture what that person looks like. Now, where they might be sitting as they record this and, and, and what, you know, what their character might be like just from listening to this crackly broadcast on a tiny radio in a language we don't understand. That's what it can be like trying to understand God in the Old Testament. We, we don't quite get it because it was so long ago in a culture completely different to ours, recorded by people who also didn't really understand God very well. And it contains valuable, important things. But just trying to understand God from those pictures, from that broadcast, can give us a distorted view of what God is like. So that's why in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it starts off by saying that long ago, God spoke many times. And in many ways, to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. That's Jesus. And it goes on in verse 3 and says, The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. If you want to know what God is like, what God's character is like, you have to look at Jesus. Because if you have a distorted view of God, a view of God that isn't found in Jesus, your progress on the road of the seeker is going to be stuck. Progress in your life, progress in your experience of God, progress in how you partner with his spirit in your life, in the world, in how you walk with him, will eventually stop at the limits of your view of Jesus. Your view of Jesus, your clear understanding of what he's like, will determine how far you can go on the path of the seeker. For example, we're sending out um, once or twice weekly devotions through this series. If you aren't getting them, speak to me or, or someone at the info desk after the service. We'll make sure you get them. And in one of them this week, we looked at the Apostle Paul before he was the Apostle Paul when he was Saul. And he had, at that point in Acts chapter 9, a distorted view of God. He thought he understood exactly what God was like. And he was out to defend this God, to defend the temple, to defend the system of sacrifices, to protect who he thought God was and the faith that he had. That was his life's mission. And he thought he understood what Jesus was like. Jesus was a failure. Jesus was a, a rebellious upstart rabbi who had been rightly killed. He was, a, he was pathetic. He was a weakling. And so Paul Saul's life mission was to get rid of Jesus and to protect God. Until one day, 
He's on the road to a city called Damascus. It says in Acts chapter 9, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission to get rid of the people of Jesus, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Who are you, Lord? Like, he knows this is God. I thought I knew who God was. So who are you that I'm apparently persecuting? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. There's the big question. Who are you, Lord? Who do we understand Jesus to be? Because Saul thought he had it right. But it sent him on a fool's errand. It sent him down a dangerous path. It sent him down this way of this construction of who he thought God was and what he thought life was about. And then when he actually met Jesus face to face and experienced him, his life fell down around him like a house of cards. It's a fork in the road that we all need. Will you settle for a distorted view of God? Or will you keep seeking for a clear view of God through Jesus? We have some advantages over Saul because for many of us, we've been Christians for a while and we've read lots of the Bible, Old and New Testament, and we've heard lots of messages like this on Sundays and we've talked with friends and family about what God is like and and what Jesus is like. And so it's easy for us to look back at Saul and go, well, obviously he got it wrong because he doesn't have the knowledge that we have. But, But still... No matter how much you've been taught and how much you've heard and how much you've thought, we still tend to create God in our own image. And Pat, who spoke last week, said that, you know, from his experience in, uh, in Baptist churches, he said, I know there is a Baptist version of Jesus. The Baptist version of Jesus is very intellectual, always quotes Greek words, always gets his theology just right. And then Pat said from his experience in Pentecostal churches, he's met the Pentecostal Jesus. Jesus, who's a warrior, always looking for a demon to fight. And then there's the Anglican Jesus, who's always politically correct, speaks just with a soft English accent. We all have our different views of Jesus and God through Jesus that we have created in our own image because of our personality and the churches that we're part of and the denominations that we're part of and the politics that we hold to. But the big question that Saul asked that we need to ask as well is, who are you, Lord? Who are you really, Lord? And we need Jesus to reveal himself to us. Just like he revealed himself to Saul, just like he revealed himself to his own disciples who were living with him and still had to be re-educated, still had to remove their distortions day after day and event after event, year after year to see who Jesus really was. But it is possible because Jesus promised that after he ascended to heaven, which he did, that he would send his spirit, the Holy Spirit, who wants to live within each person who's on the path of the seeker and with the spirit's help we can rediscover who jesus really is 
And so to finish this morning, I want to talk about three things that we can see from Jesus' life that reveal who he really was and what was really important to him and how those things can also be important to us. So the number one thing that Jesus seemed to value above absolutely anything else, the most important thing to Jesus, the thing he most longed for, the thing that he prayed for most earnestly was our restored relationship with God. He wanted us to be in reconciled union with God the Father. So we see this in Jesus' final prayer on the night before he was crucified in John 17. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, the 11 who were with him, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus is praying for you. I pray that they will be one. Just as you and I are one, he's speaking to his father, as you are in me, father, and I am in you, he's praying for unity. And and we think this is about us together, for us to be unified, but it's not just that. That's not even the most important thing, because he goes on and he says, and may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one in unity, in union with us, as we are one. Jesus said of you, if you're on the path of the seeker, I am in them and they are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Those last few words stood out to me so strongly this week. Jesus prayed that you would know that God loves you as much as God loves Jesus. Jesus prayed for you, that you would have such a close relationship with the Father, that you would experience being loved by God in the same way that Jesus experienced being loved by God. So unity in the church Unity amongst Christians, it's important, but even more important is our union, our unity, our restored relationship with God. And, and that relationship is based on something, like all relationships are. You know, sometimes relationships are based on affection. We feel love for someone else, and the relationship begins. But when the feeling goes, if the relationship is based on feeling, the relationship ends. Some relationships are based on mutual agreement. We figure out we like the same things. We agree on the, about the same decisions. We have the same point of view. And so we have a relationship. But then as soon as we figure out that we disagree, the relationship falls apart because it was based on agreement. And sometimes our relationships are based on proximity. So we see this person all the time. We spend all this time together. Everything goes well. But as soon as someone moves away, the relationship falls apart because it was based on proximity. Every relationship has a dynamic and the dynamic of our relationship with God is one of faith, one of reliance to trust him, to rely on him and to put our faith in Jesus as the one who can make our relationship with God right. So a question for you to think about, if this is Jesus' number one priority, that you would have a restored relationship with God, How would you describe your relationship with God? Is it 
sort of objectified. So you pray, but there's no closeness. Is it occasional? Is it vibrant? Is it continual? Do you take it for granted? How do you describe your relationship with God? The second big priority that Jesus seemed to have in his life, the second thing that was most important to him that we need to understand clearly is that he prioritized the life of following God. His decisions and his to-do list weren't determined by the people around him, weren't determined by the crowd, weren't determined by success. They were determined by what he thought God was asking him to do. And we see this iconic moment in Mark chapter 1 in Jesus' ministry when it could have gone either way. Like success for Jesus was on the up. The crowds were gathering. There was loads of people. The hospitals were emptying because he was healing people. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus and it was all going really well. And it says in Mark 1.35, before daybreak the next morning, before the sun came up, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Everything is going well. The crowds would have been there waiting on his every word and every action. And he got up before anyone could see him and went to an isolated place to pray. And later Simon and the others went out and they found him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. And I don't know about you, but but I would not have made that decision if I was Jesus because I'm much more driven by success. If the numbers look good, if the response is good, if people seem happy, that's the way I'm inclined to go. But that was not important to Jesus. What was most important to him was pushing any of that stuff aside, pushing other people's agendas aside, and driven by this purposeful following of his father. He needed to know he was on the right track and doing what his father wanted him to do. And so to his disciples, Jesus would often say, come and follow me. Now, now that was a cultural thing in their day. That's what teachers, rabbis did. Come, follow me. But, but also Jesus said that because that's what he was doing. He was following the Father. So while he's walking on the earth, he could say to his disciples, come follow me as I follow the Father. And he could boldly say, leave your nets. Leave your family, your, your father, your mother, and follow me. Stop collecting taxes. Sell all you have. Don't concern yourself with too much of anything or any one, or any number, or any wealth, or any possession, he would say, I'm asking you to do what I'm doing. Follow. So that's one of Jesus' top priorities. When was the last time that you followed? When was the last time you heard his whisper and decided, I'm going in a different direction because I think God's leading me that way? If you want to see the love of God in your life, you have to have faith in that restored relationship. If you want to see the power of God in your life, you have to follow. And the third most important thing, the third thing that gives us an amazing picture of Jesus and of his Father is that Jesus valued and promised life and freedom. Jesus valued and promised life and freedom. He wasn't driven to enforce mountains of rules. He didn't come to judge those who were caught in obviously wrong lives. He didn't focus on what was wrong, but on what could be right 
in our life. He would call out the gold hidden deep within each of us and then give us the Holy Spirit to reveal it and to make it possible. Remember, again, from what I said earlier, Jesus' words from John 10, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In John 7, he said, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. He wants you to experience life from him. Kate read from Matthew 28, if anyone is weary, come to me and I will give you rest. And then some years later, the apostle Paul, after experiencing Jesus on the road, wrote in Romans chapter 8, he said that those who are dominated by the sinful nature will think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Jesus doesn't want you to live a life that leads to death. He doesn't want you to be obsessed with things that lead to death and destruction. But he wants you to be thinking about, be indwelt by, be focused on, be obsessed with the things that lead to life and freedom. And anytime Jesus called for repentance, it was always away from death and into life and into freedom. And and we notice what Jesus never said. He never said, try harder, you filthy sinners. Jesus never said, form a group of like-minded people and create a denomination that protects itself. Jesus never said, start a holy crusade and an inquisition and fight for my name and my reputation. And he never said, if any one of you is a sinner, you don't belong in my church. Jesus didn't focus on things like that. He didn't focus on separation of people or on their performance. He valued faith and following and freedom. In this series, we've got a few weeks to go with some more crossroads that are before us. It's all about recapturing enthusiasm, which comes from an old Greek word that means God within. To recapture the one true God that wants to live within you, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus that will give you enthusiasm in your faith and in your life. And so the crossroads before us this morning, if you say, yes, I want to go on the path of the seeker. I don't want to be sleeping. I don't want to be asleep. I want to be on the path of the seeker. We have to have a hard look at Jesus. Let go of our religion. Let go of the distortions. Have a hard look at Jesus and do the work of understanding him clearly because then we'll understand who God really is and what God is really like. In the group discussion guide that your small group leaders have and, uh, and is available on our website as well if you just want to look at it for yourself, this week you're going to pray for each other from Ephesians chapter 3, which prays that the eyes of your heart would be open and see God as he really is. So as I finish this morning before we sing, I'd love to pray some of those themes from that chapter for us before we go out. So let's pause for a moment. Before I pray that, let's just pause for a moment. And invite the Holy Spirit to highlight for us any distortions, distorted views of God. And probably these are going to be really big things that, that um, take a while to address and, and undo as we look at who Jesus really is. But, but just to begin a new freedom, a new following, a new faith. Let's just pause for a moment.
and ask God to send his Holy Spirit in Jesus' name to reveal to you, to me, any distortions about him that he wants to make clear. to pray that right now in this moment and today in this week that you would be empowered with inner strength from the Holy Spirit. I pray that Christ would make his home and settle in your heart. I pray that the roots of your life would then grow down into that settled place, into his love. And that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would understand and experience Christ's love for you. That you'd experience his love that is beyond understanding, but that you would experience, feel it, see it, get it. And that you would be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Just before we finish this morning, I just want to do a, a, a call out for, um, if you would like prayer this morning, Kate will invite you after the service, after we sing. Um, but, but I just had a sense this morning, you know, one of those things that it could be totally my imagination or could be God. One of, those, one of those things that I feel really weird about but want to trust. That maybe there's someone here this morning um, that will respond to this, this word I'm about to give. And if it, if it hits you different, um, let that be a prompt that maybe you should ask someone for prayer this morning. Um, and the, the word, the sense I have from God is that there could be someone here today um, and the word chickens is significant to you. Maybe you own chickens. Maybe you've been fighting over chickens. I have no idea. But if that hits different for you this morning, the invitation for prayer is particularly for you.